Welcome, welcome, welcome to introducing a podcast series that shares Saints makers, shapers, and originals. I'm Matt Carnes, and with me as always is my friend and colleague, Paula Singera. Hi, Paula. Hi, Matt. Hi, Saints listeners. I was a little squeaky there. Hi, Paula, when I said said your name. Um, So today we're talking about video and the use of video in, in the classroom. And specifically, it's like... I think for me, this was kind of the best example is like the use of YouTube and the power that YouTube has over really education. Um, Like I go to YouTube, I don't know about you, but I go to YouTube if I need to learn about pretty much anything. I had to install a dishwasher last week and I used YouTube as my tutorial to just to make sure that I was right down the right path. Is that the same for you? Yeah, I'm completely with you. we're getting a, a new puppy, hopefully, and so that's been our YouTube life so far. Is just watching videos on how to train your tra- train your puppy, the first thirty days, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. So I think this is going to be a good conversation about you know the power of video in in the classroom for um, really for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So today we have Frank Bergdahl. He is an instructor within the School of Information and Communications Technologies. So Frank, it's awesome to have you, and I'm wondering if you can uh, introduce yourself to yeah, to our state sure. listeners. Sure, I'm. Well, my name's Frank Frank Bergdahl, and I've been at state uh, since 1998, so just over 23 plus years. And I teach in uh, Earned Revenue Fast Track, so it's an area where, of course, we're we're learner funded programs, and we teach uh, postgraduate uh, diploma certificates in uh, business intelligence and data analytics, technology infrastructure management. Those are the portfolios that I work with. We also have mm-hmm. a lot of other ones on networking and such. So been around for a while. And Frank, a lot of people might be familiar with you, maybe maybe your voice and certainly your face um, because of how active you are in our digital exchange on our Teams channel that we've created as well too. And in, in specifically, supporting us, um, sharing your videos and your tips and tricks and and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, once we, uh, once the pandemic hit and we decided that we needed to uh, deliver more virtually, I thought, you know what, this is an area that I'm comfortable in. It's an area that I've worked with for a long time, sort of this, uh, you know, digital world. And I thought maybe some other folks could use a little bit of help. So I thought, you know what, I'll make some videos. And I thought, what a great platform to put them out to on YouTube. And that kind of grew into the thing it's become. So is this something that you've been doing with your students as well? Um, Using videos and and things like that? Yeah, so the thing is when, especially in the programs that we're teaching, they're very, very fast paced. So it's eight hours a day, five days a week for four months, six months, whatever the program length is. So it's very intensive. And uh, we're going to get a profile of students that some of them haven't been to school for a while. Some of them are, um, you know, a little nervous about that process. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of artifacting the knowledge journey. And what I mean by artifacting it is creating resources, 
either bringing in external resources or creating your own resources so that those students that are struggling can revisit the material. Those students that want to get ahead have an opportunity to get ahead and working with, uh, you know, uh, recording things and that type of thing just made a lot of sense mm -hmm. to, to do that for them. And that's really where things came out. So I do it with my own students as a way of artifacting their learning journey and as a way of giving them uh, something that they can go back to. They can watch it at two times speed if they want, or they can watch it at half speed if they want. So, you know, that's sort of the way I the, see it. Uh, the increasing the speed thing, I often uh, <laughs> listen to audiobooks at uh, at one and a half times speed as well too. So yeah. you can kind of zip through them a little bit quicker and things like that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the a trick. good personal hack, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a life hack. All the, mm -hmm. all the productivity YouTubers talk about that. I think there's a fellow by the name of Ali Abdal who's up to uh, three or four times speed on audio. I don't know if I could, I'm, I'm not, I can't quite have that level of focus, but yeah. Yeah, and I'm not. Uh, I I don't know if I could uh, listen to the chipmunks uh, uh, read to me constantly either, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I think it depends on the on the nature of the content. If it's dense material, I'll mm -hmm. slow things down. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, if I'm taking a, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Audible, so I, I've had an Audible subscription since the since the product was launched in the early 2000s, and uh, um, recently they have the great courses on there. And so I'm listening to different great courses. And I, I realized at one point that I was listening to one on classical music at one and a half times speed. I said, there's something not quite right here. And then I <laughs> soon realized that that's one you have to listen to at regular speed. There's no yeah. uh, there's no modifying that. <laughs> it's no longer classical music. It's like exactly. listening to that, right? Um, Frank, you mentioned you have a YouTube channel. What's your YouTube channel? Oh yeah, so everybody should like and subscribe and go and check it out. That's all. I, I've been trained as a YouTuber now. So yeah, it's called Learning and Technology with Frank. Like, yeah, yeah if you could see my, my hands right now, I'm pointing at areas where you can like and subscribe and watch the next video. Uh, yeah, so I started a YouTube channel. I've always used YouTube as a great repository for visuals mm -hmm. because it's free, it's simple, and, and that's the idea behind it. But I, I made my videos public and sort of uh, leaned into YouTube uh, about a year and a half ago, I guess. And it's grown from uh, just something for my students to, I think today I'm at 15,700 and something subscribers and um, about one and a half million views. So it's, you know, it's resonating. It's, it's providing little bite-sized resources for folks. Do you think the majority of your viewers are your students? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, with the, I'm getting, you know, anywhere from three to five thousand views per day. So hopefully, my students aren't aren't just watching my views. <laughs> so, um, so what happens with that is I'm getting people internationally from all over the world. But what it does is it it's there for my students. But why not just extend that out? Uh, right. For my students, mostly, what I'm doing is I'm recording the Teams meetings that we're having, and then that becomes part of a private repository. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm not going to put my lectures on YouTube, right? That's sort of, uh, but but then I'll use YouTube to support certain concepts or students that are curious about a certain topic. I might do a video on it so that they can then go and view that video and say, oh, okay, now I understand it in more depth, mm -hmm. whether it's virtualization or how to work with teams or whatever it may be. Right. The, and the one thing I like about using um, the platforms like 
YouTube or MS Streams, whatever the case might be, is we can also embed them into Brightspace. So like you just said, if you are creating you know, content um, for a specific topic, you can also then put the video in that specific content place as well, right? So it's a little bit easier for our students to find and access and, and things like that as well. And they're not hopping in and out of the LMS and, and, and things like that. Yeah, one of the things that I'm really, um, well, you can integrate the LMS directly into Teams. So I've been using the Teams platform mostly for teaching, but I can mm -hmm. integrate, I can bring D2L into Teams, I can bring Brightspace into, into Teams. Um, in fact, if you check out my channel, there's a video on that. But uh, so you can integrate them. And then what ends up happening there is, uh, you know, I, I've always been of the philosophy and I've always said to my students that it's not so much whether you understand a concept the first time you're exposed to it, it's whether you interact with that concept the appropriate number of times so that you understand it. Mm -hmm. And when we're in a fast paced teaching environment, you know, we can't teach to the slowest uh, traveler and we can't cater to the fastest traveler. We have to sort of go to the middle. And, and so what we have to do is I think we can't abandon those people that need to see something three times, right? Yeah, you know, I think that is, that's a really good point as well. And it's something that I've had conversations with people about, um, especially when we're in face-to-face -face classrooms specifically. You know, I think sometimes, well, no, I think sometimes education is flawed. I think sometimes <laughs> a lot a lot of times education is flawed. But in, in this particular case, it's the idea of, I think it's flawed in the sense that we reward sometimes um, those students who are quick processors. Yes. Meaning, you know, we'll pose a question or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put a, a, a problem out there. And it's those students that, you know, raise their hand the quickest or uh, speak up the quickest or, or things like that, um, that sometimes are, are rewarded, whether that's intrinsically or, or not. But then we have this group of students that they need the processing time, yep. whether it's because they are actually translating it into their native uh, language, or they just need to sit on the topic and, you know, let it ruminate and, and things like that as well. So I think that's a really valid point about here's that opportunity where we're, we're creating for them to process it at their speed and, yeah, and feel students, okay with it. Students do need space, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that, boy, that's a pretty deep well that you can draw a lot on. But if you talk about people who are fast processors, you start looking at let's say systems one and system two type of thinking, that intuitive quick response thinking, as opposed to that deeper analytical thinking. And if one of our objectives theoretically as educators is to educate in, in the truest sense of the word, then we need to say, how do we teach critical thinking skills? Mm -hmm. How do we teach systems thinking skills, analytical skills? And those are the skills that distinguish the difference between task transference and educational, you know, doing true education. Mm -hmm. And uh, and if we focus our energy on task transference, that's the challenge in my belief that we have right now in educational systems is that, and you see this uh, certainly south of the border where we have these, these institutions that are very much on task transfer teaching. And, and the competition in that is simply who can have the shiniest product when it comes to education? Whereas if we if we look at things at a more holistic level and we say, how can we uh, act as a mentor 
to somebody's learning journey by resourcing them and guiding them through that resource pool with objectives at the other side of it, mm -hmm. then then that kind of, I, I believe that's a better educational outcome because we get critical thinking. And the only way I believe we can do that is to develop an individual pathway within a group setting. Mm -hmm. And that that's where artifacting comes in. That's where resources such as video comes in. Uh, other resources like, um, you know, saying, look, maybe maybe I teach you a concept. Maybe you watch me two or three times through a video. And then maybe you go to a third party, see the concept explained. And that's when it hits you. That's when it clicks. We have to take a, have a little bit of humility and realize that the student has that self-efficacy to go and learn it. But mm -hmm. we have the responsibility to guide them in that. I, that's just, you know, if you want to get all philosophical on education. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so many people learn by doing. Yeah, right? absolutely. And w just watching a video, but not actually applying it, uh, it may not be as best. Um, you might not get the best results in that case. Yeah. But if you're actually doing it and practicing along, then it will, in personal experience, that's when I learn the most is when I'm actually doing yeah, and so so when we look at something like a video, I mean, if we go from uh, you know presentation to resource to practical application, and I yeah. think that's where um, that's that's where the systems thinking comes in. So the video as an artifact obviously doesn't provide that interactivity. So you incorporate that into. I mean, we still have to provide value as instructors, yeah. mm -hmm. but you can't just say watch these mm -hmm. ten, watch these YouTube videos, and here's your diploma. Like that's mm -hmm. not. Yeah. Really yeah, be, wouldn't that be just easy? Well, you know, and that's we're getting we're getting that way with some of the badging stuff that we see and micro credentials, which I do believe in as long as they have a practical uh, uh, component to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So break it down a little bit for us in just kind of the uh, the practical sense of um, so you're creating a video uh, and whatever that it topic you're covering. Um, for your class or whatever the case may be. Walk us through kind of the steps in how how are you creating the videos? What what tools are you using? Okay, so so first of all, we have to define what type of video I'm doing. So if I'm just recording a class lecture, either in a virtual delivery model or certainly when I'm back in the classroom, I'll move to a hybrid delivery model. I will always have a camera in the classroom from now on. So if somebody's not there or whatever, and that's just a, a press record. And that's right. just a raw capture of my regular teaching activity. Mm -hmm. It's simple. It's mm -hmm. easy to do. Whether you're using Zoom or whether you're using Teams, it's a matter of a, hit the record button and everything's taken care of. And don't worry about, you know, if you've said something wrong during that recording, it's fine. You don't need to edit it, right? Because editing is, is probably 10 times to the video. So if I release a 10-minute video on YouTube, I've done at least a couple hours of editing to make mm -hmm. that YouTube video happen. Yeah. My classroom videos, hit record, we're done. For the YouTube, and, it's different. And easy for teams now, too, because the video shows up right in that that space. You don't yep. have to go and add people or move it or anything thing like that. It's literally, it's there for you. Yeah, yeah that's that, and that's just capture. When yeah. it comes to something like a more formal video, so let's say I need to create a video on a topic that I know students are going to refer to many times, Mm -hmm. And I want to create a distinct video experience. Obviously, my YouTube videos are like that. 
So I'll do those mostly on the weekend because that's kind of my own hobby right now. But let's say I want to create a video on a topic such as um, cloud uh, virtual machines, right? What I'll do is I'll say to myself, what is it that I, it's basically lesson planning. So what is my bridge in? What are the objectives of the video, right? What are some, some preconditions or some pre-testing to see if this is the right video for you so you can mm -hmm. abandon it if it's not? Um, what is the actual presentation? What do I wish to convey? How do I then do some sort of post-assessment is not as applicable in the world of, of YouTube, but then I might do a summary of what I've done. So I follow that same uh, model that I would within any lesson plan to build that video. In terms of capturing it, I, I mean, I did set up a studio in my house mm -hmm. in a spare room. So I, you know, the, the key with video, the absolute key with video is audio. People will forgive slightly poor video quality. People will forgive, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of things, but they won't forgive the audio. So, so I actually went out and I had to get this little la, um, lav microphone set up. I'm showing it to you so people can't visually see this. I know this is a podcast. So what I've got here is I've got a little uh, H1N uh, handy recorder. And this basically allows me to put a microphone right next to my mouth. I record and then I synchronize that with the video. Um, and you can um, you can certainly get a number of editing suites. There's Final Cut Pro. There's Wondershare. There's iMovie, which is which comes free with every Mac mm -hmm. if you're a Mac user. Um, I don't use the built-in Windows Movie Maker. I have a, a program there called Wondershare, but I'm a Mac and Windows person. Um, so there's that. Uh, lighting can be very important, but you can get very inexpensive LED lights now, right? And uh, you can quickly watch a, a, a 10, 15-minute video on YouTube on, you know, one, two, three-point lighting and get that, that lighting happening. But these are things that we'll do anyways for the purpose of teaching remotely, mm -hmm. right? I think it's such a it's such a great um, concept of of learning by video because so I'm I'm picturing myself as a student and sometimes I may not be on my A game in class listening to a lecture right I might not be able to take down all the the applicable notes that I want maybe I'm getting distracted by someone showing a video of a of their cat right then. Yep. <laughs> When I'm watching a video, I have the ability, the flexibility to pause it, take my own notes, process it, because I am one of those individuals. I do need to sit back uh, and process information. So I really like appreciate that aspect of um, learning from video is just the flexibility for students. I think it's really important. And I think any student that uh, is serious about studying like learning how to learn, if you would. And there's there's also, by the way, a great a great book and a great series of courses on learning how to learn. But that, uh, if we want to look at something, say, spaced repetition, a lot of times we're three lessons ahead, and I want to go back to that lesson three lessons ago in order mm -hmm. to reinforce those concepts and get a better understanding of where I am in the program or the course. So we can uh, we can create at least the opportunity for spaced repetition because you can repeat the lesson that you took a week ago or two weeks ago. Uh, that's something I'm working to try to encourage more in my course design, where mm -hmm. I do more looping back. So mm -hmm. I create uh, reinforcement loops mm -hmm. and video will help me create those reinforcement loops as well. 
Yeah, and there's a there's the benefit of of you know incorporating your videos or embedding your videos into Brightspace because then you can while you're ahead in your modules, you can link back literally to that same spot without having to repost the exactly. video or anything like that as well, right? Or re-lecture um, the concept. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So talking about re, you know, re, uh, <laughs> reposting, reusing it, um, all that sort of stuff. Are you finding you're using uh, videos that you create for multiple times, multiple terms, multiple years, if you will? So what I'll do is there, there are core fundamental concepts. And I think that as you lecture on them, you work with the students. There's a sense of participation if you lecture the concept live. And the video is not there as a replacement. So it's not like I'm walking into the classroom and say, okay, everybody, here's lecture uh, section two, number seven. Let me start the video. Put up your hand if you have any questions, right? That that's kind of defeats the purpose of being what I would call an instructor. So, so you know, and maybe maybe that would be great if you could do that, right? But what you do is you lecture on the concept, and then you capture that student's experience because when they rewatch the video, their questions will pop up, their chat will pop up. So so I make everything fresh. Mm. as it's occurring mm -hmm. but then there'll be some concepts like how to create a cloud-based machine right that's something i can create the video on i can lecture and talk about it i can demonstrate it live and then i can go to the video and say if you want to watch me do it again i've got a formalized video that you can stop and pause as we go along mm -hmm. especially in the technical realm sure right? yeah when when they're not when that content or isn't really changing a great deal um, from instant to instant. Yeah. So yeah, and you could be like obviously I'm in a pretty dynamic field, and every field is dynamic. They yeah. have a lot of changes, and I you know I could be super cynical and say that you know you know teaching isn't about me giving you oh, here's three books, read these three books, and now you are this right. That's just not going to work. And or watch these seven videos, whatever the technology may be, you know, I think, Paula, you brought up a really good point where you said it's actually doing the work. So you really, really have to position the videos as a support mechanism for either catching up or for reinforcing, but not as a substitute for the actual work of, of interacting with people and, and teaching and mentoring and guiding, right? So, so we become, uh, you have to be, for lack of a better term, I don't really want to use a word as an educational concierge. Uh, mentor has its own implications, but you're a guide. You're mm -hmm. guiding people through a body of knowledge and giving them the opportunity to develop a skill set because ultimately we need to develop lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. We don't have an end point. We may be an entry point to a new career, we may be an augmentation to an existing career, uh, but we are not, uh, we don't finish our students. We we help them during a you know period of time. We don't actually say, okay, now you're done, right? And then moving out into that lifelong learning kind of ideas, I just <laughs> how how often do any of us use YouTube to um, learn something? Meaning Always. I got a broken dishwasher right now, and I'm YouTubing yeah. how to replace the pump. <laughs> yeah. well, right? And, and
and you and you YouTube's a great example. Yeah. I thought I would get maybe 30 to 60 views on a video. That's kind of where I thought I would be. You know, my students of that class would watch that video. And then I'll get a video that'll have, you know, 490,000 views. Well, those aren't just my students. Right? You know, that's that's a lot of other people in the world that obviously needed to learn that mm -hmm. little piece of information, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm doing, you know, it's just the way it is, but it, it's kind of a fun hobby that turned into something that I'm like, yeah, you know what? I think I am bringing some value to some people out there with this, right? Yeah. Well, Frank, thanks very much for your time. Uh, it's awesome, uh, you know, to hear what other instructors are doing to, you know, enrich their own courses, to support their students, you know, and especially when it's all about, you know, getting them to the right resources and getting them uh, to that critical thinking level. Um, yeah, so just some great best practices and takeaway. We really appreciate appreciate you sharing. Yeah, no, and it was great to be here. I think the podcast is really great. I think as we move into hybrid teaching and as we move into mm -hmm. uh it's not just going to be videos it's going to be podcasts like this this is part of the learning journey yeah, it's going I think to be so a too. book you read or an article that you read a video that you watch um, i'm doing a lot right now with virtual reality and we're going to have virtual and augmented reality spaces we're going to have to bring that into play as well mm -hmm. so so mm -hmm. just mixing, mixing all of the things in the tool chest and then guiding people through it I think it's going to be good and this podcast is a good example of grabbing those best practices so i really appreciate you guys putting this together yeah i know it's awesome we have fun we have fun just like you have fun doing the videos too yeah yeah it's fun right yeah it's kind <laughs> yeah. of a kind of you know it's kind of neat to, to 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 do something that you that you're passionate about Matt, this was such an insightful conversation. I learned actually quite a bit from it, um, especially around best practices around education. Frank mentioned something around artifacting the knowledge journey. Mm, yeah, yeah, that was the, I like that takeaway as well too. And using video as as kind of that that database, right? Yes, if, if you will. Yeah, the power of of, of video in in how it impacts, you know, you know universal design principles where everybody gets to benefit from it whether it's you know using it because you can have closed captions on or um you know we talked about being you know the speed of processing and hey i need to go and look at this video three more times to really have the comprehension um yeah such such really great power in it right <clears throat> and so along your you just mentioned how others can benefit from these types of conversations. And so I was reflecting a little bit and found, you know, Frank had said something around developing an individual as a part of a larger group, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, individual pathways as a part of a group is mm -hmm. what he had said. And so as a non-facilitator, <laughs> I'm not a faculty member, I'm thinking, okay, this is something that I could take to my everyday life. Even in a, a leadership role, for example, a leader is constantly looking at their team and each individual on their team to ensure that they're 
they're the best that they can be and that they can grow at their own type of pace. I found that really interesting. Yeah, it's cool. I, I've I've always been a fan of using video in in any uh, sessions or my classrooms, um, things like that. And, you know, specific anybody who's taken Pedo and Epto in the past, uh, you know, 18, 24 months uh, has seen me all through there. And I even use it as an opportunity to have a little bit of fun, right? My dog is my dog mm. Emma is in one as an example, and you know, and, and poke fun at myself even at times. So yeah, just just a great tool and and a ton of great resources as well um you know as a great takeaway for anybody who's interested in you know exploring the use of video um even more in their classrooms caddy's uh, sharepoint site we have a ton of different resources about you know uh um you know free soundtracks and free editors and and all that sort of stuff as well. So it's a, it's a great place to go. Um, and even LinkedIn Learning is a great place to go talking mm -hmm. about videos, videos to teach you about videos. Um, you know, use LinkedIn Learning about it, those opportunities uh, are there. So yeah, it's brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe to Introducing, presented by Caddy, wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts, uh, whether that's Apple Podcast or Spotify or Google Play or wherever that is subscribe until next time thanks everybody thank you